but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on this Thursday. It is the 10th of February here. How's it going, everybody? I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're diving into the latest here in Minnesota sports. Let's start off here with some NBA trade deadline talk because that just wrapped up today, and whoa, was that a, was it a busy day around the NBA? James Harden, Ben Simmons, all those guys getting moved. I'm happy, though, because it finally means the Wolves – uh, Timberwolves Twitter, Timberwolves fans can uh, can get over the Ben Simmons hype a little bit. Always thought that talk was a little overrated, but uh, still, it's a crazy day in the NBA. Lots of trades. Kristaps um, Porzingis gets traded from Dallas to Washington. Lakers stand pat. The Knicks stand pat. There's a whole bunch of stuff that went on. But another team that stood pat was the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you know what? I'm fine with it. The Minnesota Timberwolves made no trades. There were they were had uh, were in talks for a couple players. Of course, Montrez Harrell was one of them. He got traded, believed to Charlotte. Um, there was uh, you know there was talk about Marcus Smart from Boston. They wanted Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley was playing well. Plus, they also probably wanted some other guys included in that package as well. If Minnesota wanted to get Smart, so when you look at it, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now this is different in terms of the. You know, you think of the Minnesota Twins in the trade deadline. There's a deeper prospect pool to give things up on. There's not a lot of prospects. There's not a lot of players to give up here in uh, here in the NBA that can actually help your team. And I think that's important to know. The Minnesota Timberwolves standing pat at this trade deadline. This is the first trade deadline where they have been competitive in years. And this is the first trade deadline. They didn't make any moves, I believe, in 2018. So this was some real talk here about some stuff that they can do to help out. The Wolves have never been huge uh, ever since the Gerson Rosas uh, trade for Russell Westbrook, or uh, D'Angelo Russell. Sorry, I was thinking of the Pat Bev comment on Russell Westbrook. But uh, that was funny. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But, uh, you know, when you think about that, besides outside of that one, they completely flipped the whole team. They've been pretty stagnant. They really don't make moves whether they're buying or selling. They don't really do anything. So for Minnesota to not do much at the trade deadline isn't necessarily out of character for this basketball team. But here's the thing, and I've said it on the podcast before. You can go back and hear me make my main case uh, over the last couple weeks is that they don't really need to make a trade. They don't. And I'll, I'll say it again quickly. Here's the cliff notes is the Minnesota Timberwolves are a good basketball team. They're a team whose depth was not strong at the beginning of the season and has slowly worked its way to becoming passable, if not one of the strengths of this team. Uh, Obviously, it's their top-end talent, but it's a nice side piece has been the development of players like Jared Vanderbilt, has been uh, just, you know, McLaughlin, uh, McDaniels. There's a a bunch of stuff that goes into it, but Nas Reed still being there. All all these things, the depth of this Wolves team outside of D'Lo, Cat, and... Anthony Edwards. But uh, when you look at the, the team, they have a bunch of young guys, young, cheap players, players who other teams would like to have for sure. Boston wanted, I believe it was Vanderbilt in some of the conversations, either that or it was McLaughlin or McDaniels. And can you part with a few of those players? Do you risk becoming more top heavy 
at the risk of, of giving up some of your depth. And I think that was just a conversation for the Wolves that wasn't worth having because how much is adding a Marcus Smart? How many wins does that add your basketball team? Does it make you a better team on paper? Sure. But how many additional wins is it bringing your team? You're fighting for that six seed. Dallas just got rid of uh, Porzingis, so it'll be interesting to see how that situation develops there with the Mavericks. But uh, you're, you're vying for that six seed, and you want to get there. But even if you get the six seed, there is no guarantee that you're going to go on a deep playoff run. And by the way, th- this Wolves team is great. I love this Wolves team. But they're not winning the finals this year. They're not going to even get to the Western Conference finals. They'll be lucky if they get to the semis. That'll be like, oh my gosh, like Western Conference semis. This is so amazing. Can you do that? Can you win a playoff series if you get into the top six and you have to play a best of seven? Even winning the play-in would be playing with house money at that point. But the point is is that there's no expectations for this Timberwolves team because there really shouldn't be. The expectation should be get into the playoffs and look competent, play a team, whether you win the series or lose it, take it to as many games as possible, all that kind of stuff. Like, make it a competitive, fun series to give your guys the taste of the postseason. But this team ain't winning the finals this year. So why give up a bunch of your depth now for some rental players or guys who aren't, you know, for sure going to be able to give you a whole season of work? Why give some of your young, cheap guys up for that? You're not winning the finals this year. You're not even going to make a serious run. So stand back, get into the playoffs, make a run if you can, Make Minnesota an attractive destination. And by the way, I think it's becoming more of an attractive destination for free agents. You have D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards. Three guys who are awesome to play with. You also have uh, just a – you're changing the basketball culture there. They're a winning team. Chris Finch is a good head coach, and he's not a Tibbs head coach. He's not yelly and screamy and all that kind of stuff. So that helps bring in players to your team. I, I just think that if you win, people will go and play – for your basketball team. And if the Wolves win, and if they show that they have the talent to make this sustainable, not a one-year Jimmy Butler false hope run, uh, they can get some free agents. And they can also get people to want to be traded to Minnesota. So when you look at that, I'd rather have the Wolves try and get this roster better in the summer and get it better for 2022-2023 than have it for this year because you're not going to make a run. See what you have in these young guys. See which guys you want to lock up. See which guys you want to trade. Give them more tape. Give them more room to grow because then you can trade them in the offseason for more assets. And I think that's the biggest thing here is just it's not the right time to make a move. And making a move just to make a move, uh, the NBA does it all the time. They make moves just to make moves. And ultimately, they're almost always lateral moves that never work out. So I'm okay with the Minnesota Timberwolves standing pat here. The one thing I will say is I hedged off of it a little bit yesterday after seeing how badly they played against Sacramento. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second here, but I would have thought that maybe just on how the effort was bad and how the defense was bad, that maybe trading for a Marcus Smart would kind of be a shot in the arm to your defense. It would give you a physical presence and it would kind of just help out in that way. But is it at the risk of giving up Patrick Beverly and more assets that make you worse on defense? If you don't have, uh, McDaniels, McLaughlin, Vanderbilt, Beasley, you know, whatever, Pat Beverly, you know, it, it's not worth it. So that's why I just... That's why, again, I think the one area could have been getting that toughness, getting a little more help on the boards. You know, obviously, Pat Bev is great, but he's had some injury stuff this year. Marcus Smart is a bona fide, uh, you know, I don't want to say dude, it makes it sound like he's a franchise player, but he's a bona fide, gritty player. He's does a lot of things. He's not exactly like Patrick Beverly. He does a lot of things like it, but uh, 
is on the court more. So, and is a little more physical. Pat Bev's a little more in your head. But uh, anyway, so there's that. And the one thing I do want to get on Pat Bev is uh, he just, he ripped Russell Westbrook today, which was uh, pretty, which was pretty funny. Uh, so uh, if you go check out the tweet and see if uh, you can find the thing that's uh, pulled up here. It's from, it comes from Patrick Beverly here on his Twitter today. Uh, see if I can find it here. Basically called out Russell Westbrook and uh, all that kind of stuff. And we'll see if uh can find this. Oh, here it is. It says, I remember when somebody said, all I do is run around and trick y'all. Then with the laughing emoji. Well, my boy is the real magician this year. And obviously calling out somebody he's played with before, or in uh, uh, Russell Wilson. I believe they've played before in Russell Westbrook because they might have been in Houston together a couple of years ago. Uh, I believe that's the connection. But either way, uh, just a guy that uh, basically is uh, leveling a little bit of uh, shade towards the way of Russell Westbrook, who, by the way, has fallen off an absolute cliff the last few seasons. Anyway. Uh, let's talk about that loss yesterday to Sacramento. That was horrible, no good, very bad. It's an inexcusable loss, and the Wolves have had a few of them this season. You think of the back-to-backs against New Orleans uh, early in the season, first week or so, when they should have beaten New Orleans both times at home, and you didn't. Um, there's losses to the Magic at home that you didn't win. They are tw- they have a 27-28 game losing streak when they play back-to-backs on the second night. So on the first night, they do well. The second night, they're gassed. And I get sometimes back-to-back sucks. Sometimes you have to go from New York, and now you have to go all the way down to Charlotte or Florida, or you got to go to Detroit. you gotta you got to move around a little bit. I understand that that's tough. You have to play late, sleep on the plane, get over there and be ready to play a game the next day. That's not fun. I understand why you can uh, come out sluggish or not come out playing well. But they played a back-to-back in Sacramento twice in a row. So they were already in the city. They could go back to the hotel room and sleep and not have to worry about getting a flight and worry about travel and all this kind of stuff. They just were there already. And by the way, Sacramento was trading off pieces. De'Aaron Fox wasn't even there, I don't believe. So it's just all that kind of stuff of like, uh, it, it's just a team that they should win that game. The Minnesota Timberwolves have earned the right to say, you should have won that game. The Wolves two years ago, it's like, ah, oh, man, that stinks. They should have won that one. But oh, well, they're not a good basketball team. It's like, they're a good basketball team, the Wolves are. Uh, the Kings aren't, and this is a loss that you should have had. And I don't want, and I know it's a long season. It's 82 games. This isn't a microcosm of the season. I'm not trying to make this thing anything bigger than it is. But at the end of the season, when you're fighting for that sixth seed, if you come up short by a couple games, all you can do is look back on some of these games that you should have won and just say, there's a reason why we're not in there. And the Minnesota Timberwolves have the potential to be a top six team in the West, and they need to do it. And they need to do it by beating up on the bad teams and then trying to steal a couple games against good teams. And that's how most teams do it, by the way. Not everybody's going to be a Golden State Warriors ripping through the schedule. Look at LeBron and the Lakers. It's beat up on bad teams and then steal a couple on the primetime games. Like, that's all it is. And then get into the playoffs. So, I don't know. This, you know, you hear it in the intro. Playoffs? Can't even win a game when we're talking about playoffs. But it's that kind of thing. Of they got to win some games. And... Uh, it's just, it's the way that they lost, I think, is worse. The defense has gotten progressively worse as the season has gone on. Uh, at, the offense has gotten better, by the way. Like, it's been like a spectrum. Like, the offense wasn't great to start the year, but the defense was awesome. Now the offense is great, and then the defense kind of make uh, kind of loses it on the back end, doesn't exactly work out. So it's just that kind of uh, pendulum, that kind of spectrum 
whatever word you want to use. Um, the defense hasn't gotten great, which is why I could see you wanting to trade for a player like uh, Marcus Smart, which is why I could see you want to trade for, uh, you know, for a Montrez Harrell, somebody who gives you an edge, somebody who kind of brings that defensive intensity. But you're just going to have to get better within, and you're going to have to figure some stuff out. The Wolves are a team that, I, I mean, they've played a lot of games. They've played the back-to-back and whatever. They're a team that does need the all-star break. I think Anthony Edwards has kind of mentioned that he's been playing with a little bit of a bum knee or, like, they've been giving him a little bit of trouble. Uh, but they needed the all-star break bad because when you look at this Wolves team, they should not have lost that game. There was no energy on the defensive side of the floor. And see this on Twitter all the time. Uh, I think it was Daily Wolves tweeted out, but uh, he's 100% correct, is this team will – this team's worst attribute is sometimes they get sucked into the hero ball where D'Angelo or Ant or Cat uh, or whoever feels like they need to just take the ball and make a play, and they're playmakers. That's what they do. And sometimes they just don't pick the right spots to do it, especially late in games, and it comes back to bite you. Uh, and it's what happened last night. There's no defensive energy. You kind of just showed up and expected to win, which, by the way, this team should have done. And they just didn't go out and do it. They didn't execute. The team came back and played hard, and they didn't really have an answer for it. So the, just the Minnesota Timberwolves did not have a great night of basketball. There was no effort on the defensive side of the ball. They gave up 71 points in the first half to Sacramento, and they gave up 134 points when the game was all said and done. That's egregious. Egregious. So, again, the Wolves are a team that need the all-star break badly to get a couple guys healthy, have Finch. Chris Finch said it, uh, you know, you guys have fun at the All-Star game in Cleveland. I'm going to be in Florida kind of thing. Uh, Chris Finch needs to go to Florida, figure out what he needs to do for the second half of the season. Ant needs to go get healthy uh, with a couple days off. Of course, he'll be at the Rising Stars Challenge, but it's that same thing. Everybody just needs to take a mental breather from the season and figure things out. But this Wolves team is still going to make the playoffs, but losses like this are remind you that even though they're the new Wolves, as Anthony Edwards likes to put it, there's still a little bit of old wolves in them enough, and that looked like the old wolves last night. But it's still a team that should win a bunch of games. They have a tough task. They can make us forget about this loss really quick if they turn around and go on the road and beat a tough Chicago team who's the three seed in the West, or the three seed in the East, rather. So they can make it all up if they play a great game against a great Chicago team. So we'll see. All right, well, that was a lot of talk here on the NBA. We're going to move on now to talk some Minnesota Wilds, who had a disappointing loss last night as well. And uh, a whole bunch of stuff happened in the last 24 hours to the Minnesota Wild. They lost a game uh, against, or I should say two nights ago, because it's when they played uh, when they played in uh, when they played uh, in Winnipeg. And they lost. They got shut out 2 nothing. First time the Wild have been shut out this season, by the way, which is impressive. But... Um, I mean, Winnipeg isn't a great, great team, but they're still a good enough team. They're still a playoff team. They're still a team you got to come out against. you you got to come out swinging against, or otherwise you're going to lose. And Felino is definitely swinging. He's been suspended two games by the NHL uh, for his uh, actions in the game. And, uh, of course, Dean Evason is going to support his player. He's going to say that there have been some dirty hits that kind of led to him wanting to retaliate in the way he did. I didn't watch the game live, so I really can't say – uh, one way or the other. All I know is that's who Felino is. He's a guy who's going to get in fights. He's not an enforcer. Teams don't have enforcers anymore. They don't have goons, whatever you want to call them. But they do have guys where it's like, if anybody's going to fight on our team, it's going to be that guy, and it's Felino. He's Superman punched a dude in November. Remember that. Like, he's a dude who fights, and he's a dude who gives your team an edge, and he's been great for the Wild this season. 
So him getting in a fight and getting it to suspended two games, that's just going to be a part of hockey. Um, I'm not mad at all. I, I, like as a fan, as somebody who would follow the team, I'm not necessarily upset with that suspension, but just thanks because you get some tough hockey matches coming up. By the way, first game he'll be eligible for is when they go back to play Winnipeg. But they have a game Saturday that he's not going to be able to play for. They're playing at home against the Hurricanes. That's going to be tough. The Hurricanes are the one seed in the East right now. They have the best record in the Eastern Conference, and I believe the best record in the NHL. So uh, it's going to be a tough task for the Wild, but luckily it's at the X, so hopefully they can kind of make up for that. Either way, uh, this team, they got shut out. They didn't particularly play great on uh, Tuesday night, but you're going to happen. You're playing a good team. The, the real big thing with this Wild team is that they now have a bunch of games. I think as somebody said, they have like 40-some games in 80 days or something like that, which doesn't give them a ton of time. Or 40-some games in like 50 maybe was the right word. The, uh, somewhere like in that range of they just don't have a ton of – they don't have a ton of off days at this point or at least big stretches of resting because they had a bunch of those Canadian – they had a Canadian road trip just get completely scrubbed off the schedule due to COVID a month and a half ago. So now they're going to have to figure out uh, – now they're going to have to figure out what they can do uh, here and try and just keep everybody fresh. The All-Star break is already gone. This team could use a little bit of a reset, although they didn't need it as badly. They're playing great hockey still. Uh, they just they got to win, and they have a lot of catching up to do there. Like Ian said when he joined the podcast on Monday, they're, they have a few games to make up compared to the rest of the West. I think that the Avalanche have played about two or three more games than them. So if you're the Wild and you want to catch the Avs, who are sitting atop the Central, you got to win some of these games, and especially divisional games like that against Winnipeg. It's going to be a big one against Carolina. Just make sure you can win that one. And again, you have a lot of games and not a lot of time to rest. So how this team holds up over the course of the season is going to be interesting because, I mean, you just don't want to be gassed by the time you get to the playoffs. And this is a team that won't. They have good depth, which, by the way, is that controversy um, with uh, – I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's on the TNT – NHL on TNT crew, and he uh, was – he basically – the whole thing is he uh, called out Michael Russo for calling him out and all this kind of stuff. It was a weird controversy. Uh, it's more of a Twitter thing. Go check that out. Point is, he's wrong. Russo uh, had a good hockey point, and uh, the dude just made it such a big deal to go on TV and just air it out that he didn't like uh, – uh, let's see, his name is Anson Carter. He's a former NHL player, I believe. I think he played for the Blackhawks, uh, but I can't remember for sure. Um, so he's a former player, called out the Wilds' depth. Russo said, I'm a beat writer, I cover them. They have depth. They're 9-0-1 in their last whatever, despite missing a bunch of starters. They have depth. And he basically accused him of uh, some stuff that I just don't want to dig into on this podcast. You can just go find it on social media. Um you can go look it up. Everybody came to Russo's defense. Russo's a great hockey guy, uh, a fun follow on Twitter, and uh, you know, a guy who has put out a bunch of stuff. He's the best, not only one of the best Minnesota Wild reporters out, like he's the best Minnesota Wild reporter out there, by far. He's also just one of the best beat writers and sports writers in the Minnesota market, in that Twin Cities area. He's just the best. Michael Russo's great, great person. So this is a guy, and this is my whole point of this with national media, by the way. National media's job is to try and cover all 30 teams. And now you can never cover them all the same. That's why people always complain they don't get any love in the national media. But 
you can cover them all. You got to try and cover them as much as you can. That guy watched the the Winter Classic where they got beat by the Blues playing bad. They had some guys hurt. They didn't also play a great game again, uh, as I said. So he and then all of a sudden they beat up Chicago and he said, well they I, they're a paper tiger. They don't have any depth. They don't have this. They don't have that. They lost to the Blues a month ago and they didn't look great. And then Russo again called him out because he's a national guy. It's not his job to watch every single wild game. Now, of course, he claimed he watched all the games, which was a lie. But it's kind of the thing of, like, Russo's a local guy. He's on the beat. You're a national guy. It's not your job to watch every single wild game. You need to just preface it that way. And, like, the NBA on on TNT does it, too, with Charles Barkley and Shaq. They criticize people all the time. And, we like, they criticize Carl Anthony Towns all the time. And they don't watch Timberwolves games at all. So it's that kind of thing of, like, you guys are beat writers. These beat writers, they know the team more than you do. And that's fine. Just admit it. Just admit that you don't know a lot about the team and you're giving your opinion based on what you're seeing. That's fine. Nobody outside of Minnesota is going to care either. And it's that kind of thing of uh, just basically my whole point is don't get mad when you watch ESPN, NBA on TNT, NHL on TNT, MLB Network, NFL Network, all the all the national media people. When you watch a Vikings game on Sunday and it's the, you know, it's the Fox Crews. They don't spend a lot of time with the Vikings. They don't spend a lot of time with the Twins or the Wild or the Wolves. So they'll say things that you watching on TV will go, that's not right at all, because they don't spend enough time around them. And you kind of have to know that and take it with a grain of salt. If you were listening to Paul Allen and he says something, pay attention during a game. If you're listening to Mark Sanchez and uh, Ian Eagle or something, Ian Eagle does a great job, but you know what I mean, that kind of thing. If you're listening to some of these guys they don't know what they're talking about. And that's not to say that they're it's not in a demeaning way. They just don't know enough to have a really informed take. So there's my long-winded way of saying Michael Russo's great. Go follow him on Twitter. And uh, by the way, his response to the controversy was great too. Uh, Russo's a great guy. Uh, and I don't even follow – I haven't historically followed hockey my entire life. So it's great. Anyway. Uh, let's wrap this podcast up by talking a little bit about the Minnesota Vikings here. Kevin O'Connell's staff starting to come together. So here's the deal. They've made a little bit of headwinds now on some defensive coaching hires. Uh, big news is that uh, Andre Patterson is not staying with the Vikings. I really hoped he would stay on staff. He said he wanted to stay on staff, but the Vikings defense looks to be moving in a different direction. Looks to be that they're going to be going to a 3-4 defense. George Pat, uh, you know, uh, obviously Andre Patterson uh, wanted to do a 4-3. Either that or just philosophies clashed enough. Not in a bad way, just philosophies weren't the same. He decided to pursue another opportunity. He's going to be the defensive line coach for the Giants. Best on him. He's an awesome, awesome coach. And New York Giants got a great hire in having him work with their D-linemen. But that being said, the Minnesota Vikings hired a new defensive coordinator. It is Ed Donatell. He's joining Ed. Uh, Ed Donatell is joining Kevin O'Connell's staff. So together they're Donatell O'Connell. Uh, so there you go. There's, uh, there you go. Uh, but uh, when you when you think about uh, when you think about just the staff that he's putting together, uh, who is Ed Donatell? He was the Broncos defensive coordinator uh, for the last three seasons under head coach Vic Fangio. Of course, it's kind of the Mike Zimmer situation where the head coach was really the defensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator is just the title. Like, he's in charge of the defensive stuff, but he's also not the guy who's calling plays. He's really not the guy who's crafting whole cloth the game plan. But he took this Vikings job because, well, now he gets to run the defense. 
And so he gets to run a defense. He gets to call plays, do all that. He's an experienced coach, of course, worked with an experienced defensive mind in Vic Fangio in Denver. He's a good hire. Uh, don't, I can't quite remember what the connection is here to either Kwesi Adolfo Mensa or to O'Connell, but uh, still a good hire. I think it's a decent enough hire. I think there's nothing looking about that that says that you're in trouble. Not like you're the Houston Texans and Lovey Smith is basically just going to keep being your defensive coordinator, uh, which is weird. Uh, so there you go. There were a couple guys in the mix. Aubrey Pleasant of Detroit was a guy that I wouldn't have minded running the defense. There was also Ravens defensive line coach and run game coordinator Anthony Weaver was in the mix. But Ed Donatel being the Broncos defense, uh, who is from the Broncos, again, their D.C., he's coming over to be uh, he's coming over to be O'Connell's defensive coordinator here. And uh, they haven't quite worked out. Now, obviously, you work for your defensive line, uh, de defensive coordinator, and then you work from the position coaches based on what defense are going to be. I think it's going to be interesting, though, because the Vikings are going to be a 3-4 defense. We'll get to that in a second here, but first just want to mention, don't know who the offensive coordinator is yet. A lot of speculation seems to be that it's going to be somebody on the uh, Los Angeles Rams coaching staff, like O'Connell will pluck either like a, a quarterback coach or maybe like an offensive assistant to kind of bring him over. Somebody who thinks like him in the same system can help implement that. Uh, so that's what it seems to be, but there's nothing for sure yet. We have no idea. Obviously, that one's going to probably wait until the O'Connell deal is official. But uh, Curtis Monkins, who's the Denver running backs coach, plucking a little bit from the Denver staff, he worked with Kevin O'Connell in San Francisco in 2016 um, on the coaching staff as assistants. So he's going to be the new running backs coach. Obviously, you have Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Kenny Nwongwu. That You don't really need the greatest coach. I don't know how he could be a great coach. I don't know. Uh but I'm not too worried about that one. But getting back to the defense here, those are the only real updates on the coaching staff so far. But getting back uh, – and an offensive line coach was just announced uh, today as well. Um, and it was a former – again, has a Denver connection, which is really interesting. I don't know why that is such a big uh, pipeline here. But uh, Vikings' new offensive um, – Vikings' new offensive line coach, as we try and pull this up here, it looks to be um, – it looks to be that they're hiring former Broncos assistant uh, O-line coach Chris Cupper as their next O-line coach. He's a former player, retired in 2014, had some work in Miami, then in Denver, and now coming here to uh, and now coming here to work with the offensive linemen again. Former offensive linemen, so that's great from a player perspective. Played recently, that's a nice thing to have. I do like having former players coach a little bit in these smaller assistant roles. I think promoting them to like offensive and defensive coordinators they have to kind of earn that because they're former players thing about coaches players becoming coaches is sometimes they can't always explain how they did things because they did it internally they had the talent or they had the work ethic to do whatever and it doesn't always translate but it's still great to have them in the building it helps other coaches kind of level with players and help them give a better experience of like to get them through a season which is something that they haven't been able to do so really when you look at this uh really when you look at this team uh for the vikings and you look at this coaching staff the biggest thing is going to be uh the new uh, defensive coordinator which is ed donatel and his biggest thing is that he is is that he runs a 3-4 and i think that's going to be a really interesting thing for the minnesota vikings is now they're running a 3-4 defense they've never ran they've always ran a 4-3 in my lifetime uh, going back to 19, I can't imagine, I can't remember the last time the Vikings ran a 4-3, uh, 
a 3-4 defense. Now, for those who don't know, a 4-3 defense is when you have four defensive linemen, three linebackers. Then the 3-4 is obviously three defensive linemen, four linebackers. And the big thing now is in today's NFL with how much is wide open in space with all that kind of stuff with how much running backs are used, tight ends in the middle of the field, having four linebackers helps you with more ground to cover, putting more athletic people in the middle of the field, whereas you don't necessarily need four defensive linemen because two of them are just meant to be run stuffers in the middle and your edge guys are your pass rushers. So, and keep in mind too, the Vikings were a traditional 4-3, but they did do a lot of different looks, including in 2017, 18, and 19. They just played straight nickel defense, which is five defensive backs and only two linebackers. So they just had Barr and Kendricks on the field and then had and actually used it, used that extra player to help in the secondary. So, but point is, it's still going to look different. And it's going to be interesting to see how that affects, because now are you keeping Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson? I think if you're going 3-4, you could probably shed Michael Pierce, keep Dalvin Tomlinson for one more year. Now you have a guy, you have Daniil Hunter hopefully coming back on one edge. you got to figure out the other guy. you got to figure out your linebacking room, because it's just going to be Eric Kendricks. Again, this defense needs a lot of work, and if there's any time to rebrand your defense and go into a 3-4, I think this is the time when you can start from scratch and try and bring in a whole bunch of new people. I think this is... I'm, at first, I didn't like moving to a 3-4. I like a 4-3 better. That's just me personally. But I'm also not a defensive coach. So if Ed Donatel thinks he can come in in a 3-4 defense and Kevin O'Connell thinks that that's the best defense for this team, I'm willing to hear him out and give him a shot. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Minnesota Vikings are going to do with their defense and how they're going to address it in free agency. That'll play a big part. What happens with Daniil Hunter? There's a lot of question marks on this defense. And how they'll translate to a 3-4 defense, um, Eric Hendricks will translate just fine. He's a great player. Daniil Hunter's a great player. He'll translate just fine. Bring in a bunch of newer players who play more in a 3-4 system. Maybe you bring Anthony Barr back on a one-year contract, although it seems unlikely that they would do that to kind of plug in and help be another linebacker. And the, the biggest thing on Anthony Barr was always playing in a 3-4 system might be better than him because the outside linebackers in that also can just be extra pass rushers at times too. Would have helped Anthony Barr maybe in his career a little bit, or at least given him a little more sacks and uh, kind of pressure production. But the secondary needs a lot of work as well. That doesn't always come up in a 3-4. The whole thing is this whole defense needs a lot of work, and the guys that they want to keep in place to build their defense – can play in about any defense anyways. So I'm not worried about how Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks, um, uh, Daniil Hunter, Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, whichever one you end up keeping. I think one of them gets cut because they're $11 million over the cap. But however they make it work, I think that the core that they're going to keep in place can play in the same defense anyways, can play in either defense. So I'm not worried having to switch. I don't – personally, I'm a little – like I wouldn't do it, but also – they have earned the right to kind of say we need to shape things up a little bit, and maybe moving into this new defense will be interesting. Um, it'll it'll be fun to see who the, like how telling Donatell is when you actually get to talk to him and get to, when the media get to talk to him, get to ask more questions and get to kind of pick his brain a little bit about what he wants on the defensive side of the ball, what kind of players Kwesi gets, and how they want to build this. Look, this is a completely new room. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't bring back any new coach, any existing coaches on the defensive side. I can't, I don't know off the top of my head who the cornerback coach is, but you don't have Andre Patterson coming back. Obviously Mike Zimmer's son was the uh, head coach or was the linebackers coach and co-defensive coordinator. Uh, so they're going to bring in a whole new defensive staff. And honestly, 
I'm okay with that. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, I would prefer Keenan McCardell to stay here and uh, be the wide receivers coach. I think the players liked him. K.J. Osborne took a big step because of him. I think it would be – he's a former player, which seems to be a, dire, a direction the Vikings like to do with some of these assistant coaches, or at least have done – at least have uh, done with Modkins and with the new offensive line coach. Why not keep that trend going and bring, uh, bring him back as well and just keep that going? Because, uh, again – it's the Vikings are trying to go in a new direction. They are not saying like the old system worked. Zimmer was just a, not the right person to lead. They're using this as an opportunity to completely redo the team. And it could be getting rid of cousins. It could be whatever. And by the team, I don't mean necessarily like every star player, but I mean, this defense is going to look a lot different. It's going to have to be, they're going to need a lot of new pieces. They're going to need a lot of work. They're going to need a lot of young guys infused into that team. The defense is going to look, I've said this for weeks now, this defense is going to look completely different. And this is a great time to then bring in a whole new philosophy. If you're going to start from scratch, start from scratch in everything. So this is a good move. And the offense will be fine, I think, if they still have the right infrastructure in place with good offense, young offensive linemen on the tackles. You have Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Kenny Wangwu, you have Jefferson Thielen. You know, even if you keep Kirk, he's still a guy who can run your offense. So I'm, the, the Vikings are going to start from scratch, and I could see them getting rid of Cousins. I could see them just redoing this defense from the ground up, and that is just fine. You're If you're going to start from scratch, don't pin yourself to Kirk Cousins or don't pin yourself to things that you used to do on the defense. The Kirk Cousins is just a tack on, but it's more of to drive home the point of, uh, it's more to drive home the point of this team needs a refresh. They need a restart, not a rebuild, but they just need to, they need to get new people in the building. They need to re- rethink how they try and go about winning football games. And I've loved, I've, I've liked the Kwesi Adolfo Mensa hire. I think the Kevin O'Connell hire is a good hire. I don't think, you know, like, obviously I'm not going to say it's a slam dunk, but I think from they the Minnesota Vikings went into this search with the mind of to change the organization from the ground up. That's why you got rid of Spielman. You want a complete restart, bringing in Kwesi and bringing in, uh, and bringing in O'Connell. Just the way that both of them go about things is just a 180 degree difference from how things were done before. And you can say whether going completely 180 is good or bad, but the point is, is they need to make a change. And sometimes even just making change for the sake of making change isn't even the worst thing. But again, the, this Vikings team is going to look different. And it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up over the course of this offseason. Again, this is going to be one of the funnest Minnesota Vikings offseasons in recent memory, just because of all the different paths that they can do with the coaching staff. They can do with the quarterback. They can do with the defense. They can do with everything, with the salary cap, with the NFL draft, everything. You have no idea what they're going to do. Last year, you could tell they boxed themselves in. They had to take an offensive lineman. You could kind of pick out the highlights of the draft. You could pick out the highlights of their free agency. We have no idea what they're going to do, and that's what makes talking about it so fun. That's what makes speculating about it so fun, and I hope that you guys keep listening all offseason for that as well because I, I, I love talking about the offseason and all the things that can happen. So stick with me and stick with us here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast as we'll have more to come. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.